Hello and welcome to the High Performance Hive podcast. I'm your host, Harmony Jade. The High Performance Hive is your go-to podcast for powerhouse businesswomen who want to squeeze more juice out of life, upgrade their mindset and cultivate a hustle-free lifestyle, all whilst creating an aspirational dream business with ease and flow. I'm a huge fan of community and I would love to connect with you. So screenshot the episode and tag us at Harmony double underscore Jade on Instagram with what you loved about this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Hive podcast. I'm your host, Harmony Jade, and I am so excited to have with me today Shaughnessy West from the beautiful skincare brand 1111 Lab. She is here to tell us all about her high achieving background and how she transitioned out of her former career and into her beautiful epic business, which is a vegan, all natural, friendly skincare brand. And yeah, she joins us now. So welcome, Shaughnessy. Thank you, Harmony. I'm so excited to be here. I want to tell you how Shaughnessy and I met because we've actually kind of followed each other on the gram for a little while now, (laughs) but actually in February, we both went to an entrepreneur summit in Perth. And it's so funny. I went to this entrepreneur summit thinking I was going to know no one there. And actually the intention of it was to meet new people and sat down and there was two seats next to me left empty. And of course, who turns up other than two yoga teachers that I've met before on Instagram, (laughs) Shaughnessy and our other beautiful friend, Michelle Marie. So it was so nice to actually meet Shaughnessy in person. We connected immediately and have since been chatting. And Shaughnessy has the most phenomenal story of her previous life as an OT and how that industry was a little bit of a pressure cooker, but also that she thrived in that industry. And then now what she's actually doing, which has been a complete change of lifestyle and business model for you. Tell us a little bit more about your former life. Who were you? Who are you? I went to uni to study to be an occupational therapist. I spent five years doing that and then dedicated the next, I don't know, seven years or so of my life to it. So more than 10 years studying and training and practicing as an occupational therapist. And being the high achiever that I am, I never just wanted to be an occupational therapist. I needed to be a senior occupational therapist and I needed to do it in the shortest amount of time I needed to have the highest KPIs. I needed to have the most staff underneath me and with all intentions to end up running a branch or managing a branch at some stage. Wow. (laughs) So you don't just do things by halves, right? (laughs) Never. Never. I love that. When was your sort of earliest memory of being a high achiever? Like, why do you think you kind of had this characteristic of wanting to be the best, wanting to be the most senior and the most qualified and well-practiced? I have been thinking about this question and there's a few different answers there. I do remember my parents were very proud of me whenever I achieved something and would make a big fuss around it. So that was always something that I wanted to get more of, I think. And I was entered into many different extracurriculars, I guess. 
So I played piano and then I would do piano recitals and competitions and I would either win them or place in them as second or third or whatever it is. I could never go in them and not place. I was a swimmer and every year at school would become the champion swimmer and then I would go into the inter-school swimming competitions and I would place in them as well. I played water polo and I would always get the best player of the game and I needed to get the best player. So I think just about in everything that I did, even academically, it was a no-brainer that I was going to uni. Mum and dad, neither of them had been to uni. There was never any pressure for me to go to uni, but I knew that it would make them proud. So I feel like it was almost a bit of an ongoing cycle where I needed to work towards some sort of achievement, receive that praise and then do it again. It was almost like I was looking for that hit, that dopamine hit of the approval and pride of mum and dad. Amazing. Wow. And so many sports and so many achievements. Holy moly. (laughs) What do you think made you so successful? Obviously, you know, you really just wanted to be the best. You obviously had that competitive spirit and competitive edge. What do you think made you successful though? Because there's a lot of people that set out to win everything, but don't actually get there. What was it for you that you think either in your career or in your sporting world, what made you so successful? I mean, looking back on it, I probably wouldn't say that's a success. (laughs) A success means something very different to me now, but at the time in terms of the achievements, if you call the achievement success, it would be working goddamn hard to get there. So everything in my life becomes about that thing, about that achievement. When I was working full-time as an OT, I needed to be a senior in that shortest amount of time. So everything would be around getting the highest KPIs. It would be writing letters to my boss every year to say, this is what I want. I want to become a senior. At that time, it usually took an average of 10 years to become a senior in my industry. It doesn't anymore, but when I was practicing then in my first couple of years out, it would take 10 years. And for me, I became a senior after three years, which in itself is pretty crazy. But I didn't just stop there. I was also outside of work. I was just so, so busy filling space Every bit of space that I had was filled with something, whether I was doing pole dancing for fitness. I couldn't just do it for fitness. I had to do it the best. So I was an advanced pole dancer. I practiced with the local circus school. I started um, doing aerial silks with the local circus school, but I couldn't just stop there. I had to become a trainer and teach. And so I started teaching that as well. And I could go on and on until I could feel every night had some sort of extracurricular. I would start before I started work in the morning. Like looking back, it was just so, so much stuff, just stuff filling space. Wow. That is a jam-packed schedule. (laughs) So obviously it took hours and hours of dedication, whether it was your OT work or these extracurricular activities, right? Correct. Yeah. Exhausting. (laughs) How did you feel when you were in it? Did you feel like you were alive in it or was it actually exhausting when you were in it, but you just felt like you had to keep going? 
No, I think at the time I felt alive and I had a very busy social life on top of that. So I had friends that I went to uni with that I I maintained friendship outside of uni while I was at Perth and I would make space in my life for that. So if I had an hour here or there, then that will be filled with a catch up for coffee or breakfast or some sort of social outing on top of that. So every part of my life was filled with something and I couldn't be still. If I was still, I felt lazy. I felt guilty, I think. If I was still, I needed to fill that space. And whenever I was doing something, I felt alive. Makes total sense. We feel like we're contributing more when we're doing right. (laughs) Human doing. Yeah. (laughs) So you obviously have come from this period of your life that was 100% hustle, right? Even though it wasn't your own business, it was still trying to get ahead of the game in your career. We often refer to that as being an entrepreneur when you're trying to rise to the top in someone else's business or in an industry. And obviously your personal life was maxed out as well. I know that you don't live like that now. So what has changed? You know, you've had this life where that was go, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. What's changed? What actually happened? So at 27, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. That though didn't change anything. All that did was put a pause, a brief pause in all of my activities and extracurriculars and achievements. I was told I had breast cancer. I think it was just stage two at that time. It was quite a large tumour in my left breast and I didn't have a choice of a lumpectomy. I had only a choice of whether I wanted to do a mastectomy or a double mastectomy. So two weeks later, I was wheeled into having both my breasts removed and I had a reconstruction at the same time. And then I was just counting down the days to get back to work. The doctors had told me minimum four weeks and I thought four weeks was the craziest amount of time I could take off. Like what on earth would happen while I was away? And given the surgery, it was a huge surgery. I can see now that if I had just had a a mastectomy without the recon, it would have been a much easier recovery. But because I added that in as well and the type of recon I had, it was a very, very long recovery. So four weeks was actually not enough. I ended up having, I think, about eight weeks off work before I went back. And even then, it was well, well before I had recovered. I still couldn't even open car doors. I, it's quite (laughs) funny, I laugh now because I had to, because of all the muscles that were moved around in my chest and where the implants were located, my pectoral muscles that are all connected through the arm down to your fingers, I couldn't actually use my fingers to bring the car handle towards me. So I had to back into the car and open it from behind. And I still don't know, looking at that, how I managed to go back to full-time work and then get that promotion. In the year that followed, I was promoted at work. I took on a mortgage. I planned a wedding. 
I went on a honeymoon and my circus skills, I couldn't do my kickboxing and my advanced pole dancing and all of those extra things that I did. All I could do was yoga and it was really, really helpful. But being so science-minded, it was only the physical aspects of yoga that I was doing at the time that was helpful because it was very easily graded. But of course, me being me, I couldn't stop at just doing yoga. I had to become a yoga teacher. So the next year was spent, took me 12 months to do my yoga teacher course and do all of my hours. And I became a yoga teacher. So then I had another surgery to finalize my reconstruction a year after that first one. And I just returned from my honeymoon. I'd been married and COVID hit. And so now I'm recovering from the second surgery, trying to change everything from face-to-face to online because of COVID and being an occupational therapist, we were classed as essential workers. So we couldn't work from home. We still had to go out and do our work, but we're doing half Zoom sessions, half face-to-face sessions. I was still doing ridiculous amount of KPIs. I had a staff of 10 at that time that I was fitting in on top of that. So I was working, like I was opening my laptop at 7 a.m. before I even started, then leaving at 8 to spend the next hour commuting to work and then doing my eight-hour day, coming home from work, getting stuck in peak hour traffic, and then opening my laptop again until seven or eight that night to try and get everything done, ready for the next day. And it was just this ongoing cycle of just so, so much stuff. And that that was the time where it was exhausting. It was too much. And I remember so clearly driving home from work one day and I was stuck in peak hour traffic. I was at a standstill, brake lights just everywhere. And I remember just throwing my hands up in the air and saying, I just wish it would all stop. And I didn't mean life. I just meant everything in it. It was just so much and I did not know how to stop. I'd already had cancer and I still hadn't worked out how to stop or even slow down. And it was only probably a month after that day that I had another scan, a routine scan, and I was told I had cancer again. And this time it had returned in my bones, in my chest bone. And it was no longer operable. So it was stage four. It was inoperable. And finally, I stopped. I immediately gave my notice at work. I gave my notice for the yoga classes I was teaching. I stopped all of my extracurriculars. I stopped everything until all I had left was eating and sleeping. And I thought, If I still kept even something as simple as eating in my life, that instead of working out what I was going to do, what treatment plan I was going to take, what I was going to do with my life, I would probably come out with a recipe book. I would probably put all of my time and effort into food 
So I took that out too. And for 40 days and 40 nights, I did not eat. I fasted first 20 days water, second 20 days on juice. Oh my goodness. (laughs) What an incredible journey. And obviously this isn't even the end of the journey, but for someone to get cancer or be told that you've got cancer and then just continue life essentially as per usual after surgery and still that hustle mentality and that high achieving mentality and just keep going and going and going until obviously you realized that day in traffic, wow, something needs to slow the fuck down here for then to get cancer a second time to really trigger that thought, hold on a moment, I need to stop. And then from one extreme to the other, then you've gone, okay, well, I'll just do nothing, not even eat. How are you feeling at this point? Tell me about what sort of emotions are going on in your head at this point. I was very fearful. I was so scared. I didn't know what <laughs> I didn't know what what to do. And stopping was so scary in itself because then what? What do I do when there's nothing to do? And it was a lot of learning and unlearning to break down just simple things like my identity. My identity was attached to being an OT and being a high achiever and having this long brown hair down to my hips. Like there were so many things that I had attached to my identity and something like stopping and doing nothing made me analyze that. Would I still be me if I wasn't an OT? Would I still be me if I didn't have long brown hair? Yeah. And for those that can't see Shaughnessy right now, Shaughnessy has short blonde hair these days. (laughs) So looking back, did you feel like it was empowering to you to have control, whether that was your career or your life or your body? You felt like it was empowering to have control and then all of a sudden you're faced with something that you can't control and you're still trying to find some way of controlling that? Yes and no. I think, yes, being a high achiever generally goes hand in hand in being a control freak and I would probably say that was me, but I also took pride in that. Like that was something that I liked being known as. And it would be reinforced whenever someone made a comment about how busy I was or how, you know, I can still make time for them, even though I'm doing this, this, and this, and this. But yeah, to then have no control, I think being told you have cancer is really, really hard to hear because people are scared and they want to give that control and give that power over to the doctor and say, here, you handle it, you take care of it. And then if anything goes wrong, it's your responsibility, not mine. And I think that's why I say yes and no, because I did have to learn to give up control and surrender and just be without being busy. But It taught me also how to take control of my own health and take that power back and say, no, doctor, you can tell me this is what is happening, but I'm the one that is going to make the decisions. I'm the one that's going to make the choices. 
of my life. This is my body and my responsibility. Amazing. And how empowering as well, like that realization that actually you can choose what comes next for you. So speaking of changes, obviously you've had this big realization that, you know, your current life can no longer continue the same way at the same pace. It wasn't possible to keep up with that, especially not with stage four cancer. So what did you do next? Like talk us through how you started to change out of obviously that hustle mode and away from being an OT and what came next for you? So I took 40 days out and that was my time where I just fasted, I journaled, I met with a counsellor who was also a psychotherapist and a medium and I worked through a lot of core beliefs that I'd built as a child that no longer served me. I learned about how I was just trying to find that next dopamine hit through the achievements and the praise and love and pride that I would receive following that and learned that I could still be me without all of these things. So slowly I broke down those barriers and I removed things from what I thought my identity was. And I learned that I could still be me without being an OT. And then after I realized I was still me without being an OT, I then offered my services back as an OT to that original company. But now I was only going to do a few hours a week. I wasn't going to do it at $40 an hour. I was going to do it at $150 an hour. And that was my price. If you wanted it, take it. If you don't, it doesn't matter to me anymore. That's not a huge important part of my life or my identity now. So fortunately, unfortunately, the company that I was doing so much for, I was holding up so much, pretty well fell down when I left. So they were willing to pay $150 an hour for me to go and support their therapist. And it was a beautiful balance, but therefore it opened up so much space in my life to then think about what do I want to do? What do I want to spend my time doing? And when I thought about it, it wasn't a fast-paced life where I was managing a branch. It was a slow-paced life where I went to 9.30 yoga classes and walked along the beaches in the mornings on the beautiful days. And maybe I might have a furry little friend. And so I started taking steps towards that and my partner and I, we got a little fur baby and I started going to 9.30 yoga classes and walking that little fur baby along the beach. I ended up cutting my hair from my hips to my shoulders and donating it to Cancer Weeks and then dyed it blonde (laughs) and I was still me. And one of the things that I was worried about with my hair, because that was such a big, big part of my life, because so many people complimented my long, dark hair. Everywhere I went, that was the first thing people would say, your hair is so beautiful. Look how long it is. It's so luscious. It's so thick. And so when I cut it short, I thought that would all go. But instead, people go, oh, I love your hair. It's so cool. It's edgy. I wish I could pull off something like that. So it's still my thing. You know, it's still my thing without it needing to be this long, dark thing that was my security blanket. So once I started 
creating this new, beautiful, slow life, I was looking at all of the things that I was putting in my life and putting in my mouth and on my body, in my body. And that's where I was doing my radiation treatment. I was going in every day for five weeks and I got given from a nurse a piece of paper that asked if I wanted to join a workshop where they put makeup on you so that you would look good in order to make you feel better. What petrified me more than cancer was being a cancer patient and being seen as someone with cancer, coming from someone who was always this strong person, this high achiever, to then being someone that had cancer. I didn't want people to look at me differently. I didn't want people to look at me with pity. And I didn't want to be known as a sick person. I'm not a Mm. sick person. I might have had cancer, but I wasn't sick. And so therefore, I filled out the form and politely declined and said, no, thank you. I will not be put in a room full of sick people to have makeup put on me. But then the next week, I got a box delivered at home and it was a box of skincare and makeup. And so it was quite a beautiful gesture, actually. They must have thought, oh, this person can't make it, not that they've chosen not to make it. And so therefore, we'll send them the box. She must be too sick to come to this workshop. We'll send it to her home. And because I was getting curious about what I was putting in and on my body, I started looking at the ingredients that were going into this skincare and makeup. And I was shocked. This was high-end, expensive makeup, $300 foundations from France. Like this was the good stuff. And I was looking at the ingredients and again and again and again, I just came across carcinogens, endocrine disruptors, neurotoxins. And it was so ironic. It didn't go past me that this box was full of cancer-causing ingredients and hormone disruptors, and they were giving it to someone who was going through cancer treatment. Just actually blows my mind. (laughs) Right? I mean, it was well-intended. It was a beautiful gesture, but clearly they're not educated enough. I'm not educated enough. The people do not know that this $300 foundation from France has cancer-causing ingredients in it. So that's where... It came to me that maybe this is my calling. Maybe this could be my passion. Maybe this is where I spend my days. And I did go on a bit of a journey trying to find a natural skincare that still had that high end, you know, $300 from France feel to it. And there were other natural skincares out there, but they just didn't have that beautiful high-end quality that made me feel beautiful and loved. So that's where the basis of 1111 Lab came from. And so now, fast-tracking to years later, I still go to my 9.30 yoga classes. I've just come from walking my dog along the beach now. And I love my life, but I also get to spend it educating other women on what they're putting in and on their body, empowering them to take their health back in their own hands and put their wealth, their worth and well-being first, making them prioritize themselves, slow down and love themselves and spend that time for them. So incredible. And there's like 
just so much juicy information there. Obviously, a personal journey for you. This is just game changing. Like it's literally changed your life. It's tipped your life upside down and shaking up everything you knew that told you to work harder, push further, achieve more. And to now, I mean, you know, I also froth a 9.30 yoga class. (laughs) But if someone said to you, you know, five years ago, you're going to get cancer soon and your life is going to change, like maybe you should slow down. What would you have even thought? Oh, I think this all the time. You never think it's going to happen to you. Cancer is something that other people get, not you. Mm. It's not even something that would have crossed my mind. I didn't have any cancer history. There's no one in my family that have had breast cancer. So it never occurred to me that it would happen to me. But if they did tell me that that is what's going to happen, I would have laughed in their face. No way. I was the healthiest person that I knew. I took health seriously, but I also took my achievements seriously. So I could do it all. I was superwoman for sure. (laughs) And I think, you know, so many people can resonate with that. We all think that we can do everything, that we can be everything to everyone and breakdowns happen to other people and injuries happen to other people, illnesses happen to other people. And unfortunately, that's not the truth. It happens to good people as well and people that don't see it coming, fit people, healthy people. So, yeah. You mentioned earlier that back then your idea of success was ticking off some of these huge achievements, but that's not what success is for you now. What is success for Shaughnessy now? Living a high quality, fulfilling and rewarding slow life. Nice. Love that. And it sometimes takes the hard lessons that are being pulled to an absolute halt to have some of those realizations. How do you feel now about your yoga? Because obviously when you discovered yoga, it was because you couldn't do your other hobbies and it wasn't necessarily for the mindfulness and, (laughs) you know, spiritual connection side of things, which I also completely understand because yoga finds people at interesting times. I always think that you don't find yoga, it finds you. How do you feel about your yoga practice now and how is that impacting your life? I like that you've circled back to that because that has definitely changed. I remember going to yoga after my surgery and I went to a particular class where a male yoga teacher ran it and he was very authoritative and he was the teacher, you were the student. And at that time, I really liked going to classes and being put in positions where I was instructed to do things and I was told what to do because I did that for so much of my life that it was nice to have a break, like not think about what to do, have someone else do the thinking for me. So I really liked going to him and he was also studying to be an exercise physiologist. So he was very science-based and it was very physical rather than the spiritual or emotional or mental side of yoga. So I really, really enjoyed that. I didn't want the woo side of yoga. I thought that was a whole nother ball game that I do not want any part of. But as I started to slow down and embrace this new life, I was interested in that side of things. And when I did ask him if he does any classes where they might do some breathwork activities or they might talk about any 
of these other side of things, he laughed in my face and said, you can go down the road for all that crystal shit. That's not what we do here. And so I stopped going to him. <laughs> wow. Immediately my mind is blown. <laughs> right? A oh yoga gosh. teacher. You wouldn't imagine that. So he was also someone who, when I shared I was studying to become a yoga teacher, he pointed out all of my flaws and why I shouldn't become one. So I started realizing that he probably wasn't right for me anymore. He was right for me at the time that I started yoga, but he wasn't right for me anymore. And that I needed to find a new yoga space, a new teacher that would start to dive into some of those new things that I was interested in, but not be fully there yet. Like I was only just on the cusp. And so I started that journey as well. And now I teach yoga. I practice yoga more than I teach. And I really like that. I still love going to my 9.30 classes and then teaching a 10.30 class. And I love that that is my time, not only physically, but also mentally and It's my time to slow down, to be in the moment, to be present, that me time. Even when I teach now, I always start with a mindfulness activity and with grounding and the juicy shavasana with a lovely forehead massage and a beautiful spritz of the magnesium mist. And it's a very, very different style to the yoga that I first started. Amazing. And I love that because you're coming from a place of knowing what it's like to be on the other end of that kind of service that is very obviously masculine dominated, but you know, also not allowing you to connect in with your body truly and more come from that place of doing. So that's really cool to see that that shift and that journey has continued through yoga for you. I wanted to ask you obviously about your phenomenal business. So you've come out of this high-performing life. You've been through cancer twice at this point and then found your yoga and your slow down lifestyle and then started to build your business, which is incredible. (laughs) How are you currently managing the work life, building a business from scratch and getting that out there? How are you managing it all now with your slow down approach to life? I have to keep myself in check. It's not an easy switch to go from high achiever to slow life. And also when you're running your own business, uh, you still want to be superwoman that can do everything. And I do need to keep myself in check and see every now and then I start filling up my life again and I'm getting really busy and then I can feel that overwhelm creep in. And that's when I know, all right, I need to step back. I need to clear my schedule a bit for next week. I need to do more of these slowing down mindfulness side of things. But essentially, I did have to have a realization that I can't do it all and that I did have to bring in some help. So I don't do it all myself. I do have other people in my business, in my team that help out. I do have a social media manager. I have a copywriter, a web developer. I now have six brand reps on the team. 
So it's really about seeing when it comes to my slow life, for me to keep living my slow life, I need to see where I can bring in help so that I can live that. Amazing. I love that. And with the running of the business or with, I guess, this being a whole new passion for you, where do you see your business going now? So you're obviously really passionate about having a product that is ethically sourced, that isn't full of cancinogens as well. Where do you kind of see this business going? And yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about how it can help people. So 1111 Lab products are 100% natural. They're cruelty-free, vegan, ethically sourced and sustainable. They're also Australian made and owned. And where I see them is in every woman's bathroom in Australia. I want every woman to see, especially those high achieving women, I want every woman to see what they are putting in and on their body and become aware of that and then choose 1111 Lab products as a beautiful way to not only give them back that me time in their life and that mindfulness in the morning so that they can spend that small portion of each day grounding and bringing back to themselves as they do their skincare routine, but also because it's healthy for their skin. It has beautiful natural actives in them that act on anti-aging and are healthy for the skin. So it's not just that it's natural, but it's actually going to work for them. I have recently just ticked over with some long-term loyal customers in my community who have been there from the beginning and they are putting in their 20th and 21st orders now. And so the next step will be to create these subscriptions and have even more automation on your life so that you don't have to spend time. You're getting back that time where you'd normally go, oh, I've run out of these products. I need to go back online. I have to think about how long it's going to take for them to come so that I get it before I run out. And there's just so much extra time and thought involved. Whereas if you know and love these products, you only need to get them once, choose how long you want to get them for, And if you normally use, say, a cleanser for four months, then have the next one delivered. It's going to be ready to go. Love that. (laughs) We just want life to be easier, especially as high achievers and people that live on a life of 110% for speed and everything. We just want everything to be automated, especially small business owners and, you know, mums, all the people that are time poor. So that's incredible. That'll be absolute game changer to just get your skincare. I know I've actually just started using a vitamin brand that automatically replenishes my order every single month. And I absolutely love it. So I can't wait to get my hands on skincare that just comes to me when I need it. I love that intuitive model of business. It's amazing. What an incredible story. I have one more question before we come to our fast five questions, which are just like some random questions I love to ask everybody. (laughs) But I also love to ask people a time where actually they feel like they maybe have failed tremendously or maybe not so tremendously. (laughs) And what have you learned from those lessons? I think my big fail was and where I've learned the most from is being diagnosed with cancer 
and not changing a thing. But I learned a lot from that. Yeah. So the failure was in not listening to the body or? Yes. So I think that clearly the cancer was trying to tell me, slow down, and I didn't listen. And now that I have listened, I am living a truly beautiful life. I love that so much, so much. Like if you get one takeaway from this podcast, (laughs) it is to listen in when the universe is telling you to slow down. Absolutely. So let's get to the fast five. Are you ready for this? So these are just like five random type questions. Tell us whatever the first things that come to your mind when I ask. We're good to go. Sure. Let's do it. So what do you think are the top three habits or characteristics of a high performer? The top three would be not being able to be still, feeling lazy when you are still, and maybe just being busy all the time. Yep. So characteristics of high performers. Yep. Totally get that. See that all the time. (laughs) Your number one tip, if you're feeling stressed or anxious, what do you do? Clear my schedule. Yes. Love that. Just wipe it. Just get it done. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. And I know that you froth travel. I think you've actually even got a trip coming up. What is your favorite destination in the world? Yes, I do love to travel. And back in my fast-paced world, I couldn't just travel to enjoy travel. I needed to tick off all of the countries. So I did. I was a bit of a country whore. I needed to cross (laughs) country borders just to say, yep, I've been there. So I think my number, which I've forgotten now, which is nice. Um, COVID has helped with that. But I think my number was in the 40s, maybe even 50s for numbers of countries I've been. (laughs) But my favourite destination in the world, I love Central America. I do love Bali though, but I've been there many, many times. But I feel like Central America, I've only been there a few times and I just love, I don't know, I love speaking Spanish. I love the climate and just how exotic and different it is to anything that we experience here. Love that. And yes, Spanish, it's pretty sexy Spanish. (laughs) If you were, this is probably one of the most random questions, but if you were a meal or a cocktail, what would you be and why? Well, I think this depends on the day. I feel like I would be a really high-quality champagne. (laughs) Love that. No cocktail needed, just in its purest form, just really high-quality champagne. Yep, straight from the champagne region. Love it. Why not? I love that. (laughs) Beautiful. And tell us, Shaughnessy, what is at the top of your bucket list right now? On top of my bucket list, I want to have a really successful business. I know that sounds very high achieving. (laughs) (laughs) I want 1111 Lab to be a name that everybody knows. And I want it to be a name that everyone knows whilst being able to live a slow life. So the top of my bucket list would be able to manage the balance of a really successful business and a really high quality, fulfilling life. Absolutely love that. And I also love that you've referred throughout this podcast to your life as a high quality life, because I'm so about not just having a high performance business, but a high performance life and a high performance life 
is one that you actually get to choose yourself and it works for you, not the other way around. And I love that. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us and telling your story, being super vulnerable with us about your experience with cancer. Is there anything else you want to tell listeners or encourage listeners? Obviously, I'm sure that plenty of women are going to hear this and think, wow, she got cancer when she was just 27. Literally just go and get yourself checked if that is the last thing you take away from this podcast. But yeah, is there anything else you want to share about what's coming up for you or 1111 Lab or where you are now? I think the biggest takeaway I would want people to take is to really listen to yourself, especially when you're starting to feel like things are getting too much. I'm hoping that people can relate to my story. Maybe you haven't had cancer, but you've gotten to a point in your life where you just feel like it's all too much. And to know that you can do something about it and it doesn't have to be too difficult. And something as simple as adopting a mindfulness skincare routine in the morning is something that is so small yet can make such a big difference. It can help start your morning and ground you. And if that skincare is also an intentional purchase that is natural and you know exactly what you're putting in and on your skin, just gives a whole different energy about it. Yeah, absolutely agree. Totally. Well, that is all we have a time for for our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. You guys can stay up to date with what is happening with Shaughnessy and 1111 Lab. Check out the notes and the links in the show notes. Please screenshot this episode and share it with your biz besties and your friends. Tell everyone about 1111 Lab. The most exciting thing is, is that Shaughnessy and I are working on something super, super awesome that is going to be coming out soon. And that actually is an in-person event and a unique shopping experience where you can actually come and meet Shaughnessy in person, test out some of the beautiful high quality 11 Lab products and just meet other beautiful women and connect and really slow down and engage with other people in life that isn't in the hustle lane. (laughs) So look out for that. Please give them a follow at 1111 Lab on social media and screenshot this episode and tell us what resonated with you the most and tag us in as well at harmony double underscore jade and tag Shaughnessy at 1111 Lab as well as please leave us a review. I would be super, super grateful to hear from you with your review on our podcast platform. If you also are someone who has a story of burnout to breakthrough, hustle to happiness, or maybe you're a high performer that is living the absolute dream, then I would love to hear about you and your story. Meanwhile, please go out there and chase your biggest fuck dream and share it with all of your friends so that they can help support and lift you up. Until next episode, please like, follow and share. We'll catch you soon.